Hey everyone, and thanks for listening to the Colossians podcast. Over the course of 10 episodes, the staff team at Yarmouth Wesleyan will do a deep dive into some key passages from the book that you'll hopefully find helpful and engaging. So, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify as it helps us spread the word. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the eighth episode of our Colossians podcast. We really hope that you have been enjoying these. Uh, It's been a lot of fun to do some deep dives into some of these verses throughout the book, uh, especially passages that we haven't had a chance to preach on or give much attention to as we have been working our way through the book from a sermon standpoint. And so I, uh, I really hope that these have been helpful to you guys on your own journey. Today's episode is a bit of an interesting topic. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it, uh, but it is big and I'm not excited to try and stuff it into a 20-minute episode. So we will see. Uh, today we are talking about God's wrath. His wrath. And, and so where we find this in Colossians is in chapter 3. Uh, verse 5 specifically and the following verses where Paul writes to the church, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Uh, That is the translation I'm using. Other verses say, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, he goes on to say, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Now put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. But it's this whole picture of have nothing to do with all of this kind of list of of sin. Uh, And he says, because of these sins, the anger or wrath of God is coming. What do we do with the wrath of God? Uh, It is a volatile subject and people are all over the map on this one. And they have been for years. It has been certainly misunderstood and misconstrued, perhaps even abused throughout the years. Uh, And so there are those who love to emphasize the wrath of God. It sounds weird to say it. Uh, There have even been historical eras in the church where we have really highlighted the wrath of God. Um, I think of the famous example is Jonathan Edwards, the the great kind of revival preacher in the Great Awakening, uh, old school fiery sermons, and his most well-known one was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And this is what we think of when we think of that hellfire and brimstone preaching, the, the, the pastor getting all worked up and warning everyone that God's wrath is coming for sinners. And, and we get turn or burn theology uh, out of this and kind of woe to you, you unbelievers, because God is angry and he's coming. And it's like, whew, okay, the, the, the wrath of God. And it's not just antiquated thinking. That's not purely just from a couple hundred years ago. It still exists. And there are still many Christians and perhaps denominations who still lean more towards 
the angry God, and they speak a little more of wrath than perhaps some other Christians and denominations, and use that perhaps as motivation for following Jesus, motivation to not step out of bounds, motivation for people to come to Jesus, uh, to avoid the punishment that God is going to dole out. Uh, this is also a picture of God emphasized by those who aren't even Christians, people who don't even claim to believe, because this is how too many people, unfortunately, still think about God, that he is this angry old man in the sky. He is looking for someone to smite. That's a good Old Testament word, that he is going to smite someone, uh, or that you know he's going to throw lightning down on bad people, that, that, that our God almost delights in this kind of punishment. And, and this is the reason that some people give, or the excuse, whatever, as to why they don't go to church. Why would I come to church and, and hear about this angry God? He just gave us a list of impossible rules to follow, and when we inevitably can't follow them, he is going to throw us into hell. Like, what an awful, twisted, wrathful God this is. And, of course, this is a very over-the-top caricature of, of that line of thinking, but that is how some people still think of God. I, I've had conversations with people. I remember uh, a number of years ago being in the lobby of, of a church and having someone kind of walk in almost like tentative, almost wincing a little bit. And they were convinced that the moment they walked through the door that the God was going to throw lightning on them, that something was going to happen because he's so mad at the life they've lived. Like, it's not just a cliche. People think this. Uh, now, the outcome... Uh, for this line of thinking, both for Christians and non-Christians, unfortunately, has been to swing the pendulum uh, so far the other way, that we create a God who really has no wrath at all. There's no anger there whatsoever. He is only loving and kind. He's the, a nice, gentle, grandfatherly type person. Uh, and this kind of veers us towards theology that just centers on, oh, he's a nice God and he wants us to be nice people who are nice to other people and everything's just going to be nice. We're just going to live well and follow the golden rule. And you end up with like fairy tale theology where it's all just going to turn out in the end because good wins. And some believers live here that, that God is love and only love, which really becomes code for it's really okay how you believe and what you do and, and you live however you want because God is love and he's fine with it. The heart wants what the heart wants. God understands. He's so loving. Um, and, and you'll also hear some non-Christians land here, uh, especially when they're told God wouldn't allow this or God doesn't believe this or the church doesn't stand for this. And they'll say, actually, the God of your Bible is love. And he would welcome everyone with open arms and he would never treat people like this and you should get on board with that God. And so it, it becomes this really interesting tightrope of is he a wrathful God and what does that mean for people in the church and out of it? Or is he a loving God and what does that mean for people in the church and out of it? Or is he some mix of the two and if he is we are having a really hard time reconciling um, how those things fit together. Is God wrathful or not? To what extent? What is Colossians 3 really talking about? That, that because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. Now, there's a number of words in the Old Testament and New Testament alike that are translated as wrath. Uh, they're most frequently translated as anger, which is why we see these translations kind of interuse these words. 
but most generally, it refers to God's specific response to evil and disobedience in the world and in people. Um, they do something, and so he, he's angry. It's not that God's nature is just one of anger, and, and his character is to just wake up grumpy and then act grumpy all day because that's who he is. Biblically, his wrath has a reason. Uh, the wrath of God is a common expression uh, for, I mean, more common than perhaps we would see that word in the New Testament. Um, and, and again, it's because of the things that he's seeing unfold before him in, in the world. Uh, Deuteronomy 9.8 uses this example of, you at Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath, so he was angry enough to destroy you. Like You did this, and that goes against what God said, and so he is angry, and this is how he wants to act. Isaiah 26, verse 20, um, talking about the enemies of, of Israel. says, go home, my people, and lock your doors. Hide yourselves for a little while until the Lord's anger has passed, because the Lord is coming from heaven to punish the people of the earth for their sins. Uh, and, and so that is for people who were not following God, and they were evil, and his anger was coming to punish them. And, and it's, I mean, that's two real quick examples of a lot of other examples you could find in the Old Testament. But it's this combination of human disobedience that leads to this response of, of God's wrath. And this was often the message of the prophets. Um, the primary message of these prophets was to go and speak to a group of people to let them know judgment was coming because of their disobedience. And so you need to repent. Uh, and if you do, God will save you. But if you don't, then there will be destruction. I mean, this is Jonah. Uh, God says, go to Nineveh. I've seen how wicked they are, and you need to tell them. I'm going to punish them unless they repent. Uh, and Jonah does not want to. Um, and and kind of fittingly, we'll touch on this later, uh, if, <laughs> if I remember to, uh, he doesn't want to go tell them to repent because he knows that if they do, God actually will withhold his punishment. And because of Jonah's own prejudices, he would rather see Nineveh punished. So that's his own skewed sense of what justice and righteousness look like. Um, but that was really the message given to prophets. Go warn them, because I've seen their sin, there will be a consequence for it. And that's the picture of God's wrath, biblically, that, that we find uh, in, in the Bible. And so essentially what we've got going back to Genesis is that God has created this world. He has designed it to be perfect. It is good. Everything in it is good, designed for it to be without disobedience. And immediately we ruin it. We, we eat from the tree, wickedness and sin enters the world. And God is, is heartbroken about it because that wasn't the plan. Sin came from this disobedience. It comes from an enemy that we have who the Bible says seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, which is the exact opposite of our God who wants to create life and, and show us love and peace and harmony. Uh, this picture of shalom, which is a word we've talked about before uh, in, in other sermons and other seminars. Uh, it's this all-encompassing word that talks about kind of the peace and, and the wholeness that comes when you follow God and live in his ways. Uh, we, we even see a little bit of this touched on in the story of Noah, which again is another story we'll come back to later. Uh, for a lot of people, they view this story as a picture of God's wrath. Uh, they, they will often kind of misconstrue this and oh, your God is so angry. He killed the whole planet with a flood. Uh, he's so ticked off. You just wanted to start over. But we actually, when you read 
the biblical version of this, we find that his heart isn't really one that is angry and wrathful. It's more that he's sad and, and has this compassionate heart that's devastated by the way his people are, are living. Genesis 6, 6 says, so the Lord was sorry he had ever made them. He wasn't angry and ticked off. He was sorry that he made them and put them on the earth. It says it broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. I will destroy every living thing, people, animals, small animals, uh, birds of the sky. It says, I'm sorry I ever made them. It says he's heartbroken, right? And, and so his plan, the, the heartbreak comes from this plan being Eden, this plan being a, a full, whole relationship with God where we're designed to love him and be with him and to walk with him. And, and instead, we ended up in this world that looked the exact opposite. And it's a world of pain and suffering and death. And, and it's the world where people are experiencing so much pain and suffering and death. And, and so God's heartbreak, it's, and, and it's not at the people, it's at the sin and the evil nature um, that causes them to find themselves living in this way, that, that he's really upset and, and heartbroken. And, and so it's that he wants so much better for them that they're living so far from his plan for their lives. It's so far from the vision he had of this world that he created for them and to be with them and to delight in them. And, and so he's not mad. His wrath isn't at specific people, but it's at sin and, and it's at evil and the wickedness that, that causes us causes us to walk in disobedience, which in turn leads to pain and, and suffering and death. And so imagine it kind of like being... Um, like there's a parent who loves their child, raised them well, uh, taught them right from wrong, a solid household, and and along the way, perhaps in college, they they mess around a bit with drugs and all of a sudden find themselves in a full-blown addiction and the years pass and now they're living a life on the street they're in pain they're in danger it's a devastating situation those parents aren't angry at their child they're heartbroken for their child they're they're devastated that this is the life that their child is now living in because the world they wanted their child to live in and the work they did to raise their child this was not the picture of it it's not what they envisioned. They wanted them to, to grow up and, and, and get a great job and get married and have kids and enjoy life and to be happy, not, not this picture that they're getting. And, and so the parents aren't just, they're not angry at the kid. They're angry at perhaps the systemic stuff that left their kid homeless and on drugs. And, and they're angry at, at the, uh, you know, necessarily the drug culture and the drug dealers or the evil forces that keep people in this lifestyle. And perhaps they even uh, sign up for ways to help combat this lifestyle and, and work towards it politically to fix it. Whatever the case is, that's kind of the better picture of God's heart. His response at anger is really because he's angry at the sin that is leaving his people devastated. It's to kill the sin that's destroying people that becomes the solution and the focus, right? Just like those parents want to combat the forces that are keeping their kid in this lifestyle. Um, Jesus says, I've got to do something, not just to, to help this one person here or there, but to actually remedy the entire system 
that, that is evil and wickedness and brokenness. And so that's where Jesus enters the picture to give us freedom from this addiction to sin, uh, freedom from this sin nature so that we can make our way home to the life that God intended and live in that peace and harmony with him forever. Uh, and so anyone who talks about, oh, wrath is only an Old Testament thing, they're not seeing that Jesus in the New Testament is the solution to the problem. Romans 6.23 states clearly the wages of sin is death. Right? That's still, I mean, that's, that's what happens with sin. Um, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that the problem is that sin leads to death. The solution is that Jesus comes to free us from that. John 3.36 says anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will not experience that life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Right? So there's this picture of you can stay in sin and disobedience and, and it's going to leave you broken. You're not in right standing with God because that's not the way he's lived for you. He's given you an out through Jesus. And if you refuse that, then you're going to continue to live in that kind of life where it's under God's angry judgment, according to John 3, 36. Uh, but Jesus is our way out. Um, and, and so again, it's this picture of Jesus coming to solve the solution or to solve the problem of, of sin and evil, not to punish people for being bad. Uh, that's where his wrath is directed. God's enemies aren't people. We, 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 we see this in scripture. Paul told us in Romans that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's the powers and principalities. It's the forces of darkness that are leading people astray. That's the same for God. God's people are not his enemies. He created them, loves them, purposed them, and, and saved them, sent Christ to, to, to save them through his blood. And so people aren't the enemy. And God's wrath isn't directed at these people. It's directed at the sin and the evil and the wickedness. Um, and so we need to have our sin be put to death. It needs to be dealt with. You can't solve sin on your own. You can't solve sin as a person. Um, if we don't kill our sin, our sin will kill us. Uh, and, and so we see again, all these pictures of, of God's wrath towards sin through scripture. Romans 1:18. God shows his anger from heaven. Um, against these sinful, wicked people who suppress their truth by their wickedness. It's, it's the wickedness that he's upset about. Romans 5, 9, we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will save us from God's condemnation, right? Because we have been rescued from sin and its wickedness, which is what God was condemning. Um, Romans twelve nineteen says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, says the Lord. In other words, it's this picture again of God's anger being righteous. He's not just, oh, he is so mad today. He has lost it. He is ticked. Look out for God. You know, it's righteous because he hates sin and evil and wickedness so much. Uh, on and on. I mean, I, we're running out of time. There's so many scriptures we could talk about. Um, but but let's go back to this picture of of both Jonah and Nineveh and Noah and um, and the ark because those are both pictures of uh, essentially what Jesus came to do that humans couldn't do. Noah was supposed to be the prophet that wanted people to be saved from their sin, except he didn't want that. He wanted their sin to be punished. But what he didn't realize is that he was no better than Nineveh and has sin in his own life. 
uh, and 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 he was a poor prophet and um, prejudiced and bent towards his own desires. And so Jesus comes to do what Jonah wasn't capable of doing, uh, which is to come as a prophet who is all loving and all kind and wants repentance for all. Uh, and then we've got this picture of Noah, the only one who was allowed to live, him and his family, to avoid the flood because they were righteous. And then we find out immediately after the flood, they were not very righteous and, and immediately fall into sin and disobedience and and the cycle fall. We know full well that the flood didn't solve wickedness in the earth. We just see it start all over again in Noah. And, and so Jesus is also the better Noah who came as the righteous one, who was able to stop sin and death and to give us a new life in this new world um, that won't be um, kind of scarred by sin and death and destruction. So these pictures in the Bible of people falling short of what the way was supposed to be, we see Jesus become that better and perfect person to solve this issue once and for all. And, and so... Ultimately, I guess what we can understand, for whatever reason, we can understand that someone can be a good, kind person who experiences anger when certain things happen, and we think, oh, that's okay, that's human nature. Um, we have a hard time doing that with God, though. When God is angry, we're like, I can't believe God would be so angry. Well, why? how come I can believe it with a person, but not with God? Right? I don't think I'm an especially angry person. I don't think when people are asked to describe Mark Brewer that anger is one of the top three words they use. But I can get angry, and and people let me be angry without it becoming my personality. Um you know, and if I got angry, perhaps people would understand it. Oh, Mark's not an angry guy, but he was cut off. Him and his kids were driving, got cut off by a reckless driver, and they got into an accident, so he's pretty upset. People would be like, yeah, okay, I get that, because we're okay with anger so long as the reason is that it was justified and that the person isn't just constantly going off the handle like that. Um we even celebrate this sometimes. This has become a superhero trope where mild-mannered so-and-so gets angry at all the evil they see in the world and their parents are killed and so they become this superhero that's going to be the solution. And we cheer them on because we understand that wrongs are going to get made right and someone's going to pursue justice for people who aren't getting it and, and people who do bad things should be held accountable. We understand all of that and, and we like it and we cheer for it. But whatever the reason, people have a hard time reconciling that God can be like that, that God can be angry and, 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 and be angry at justifiable things and angry and have it be righteous without it becoming his central characteristic. They're just like, oh, that God, he's some angry. Well, what if he's not? What, <laughs> what, what if he's only angry at the right things at the right times and it's things that he should be angry about? In fact, wouldn't it be unfortunate and almost immoral if God didn't get angry at the things that he should be getting angry at? Right? Because we call that out in our world too. You know, if, if someone sees a horrible situation unfold in front of them and they had the capacity to do something to stop it or to speak up and they don't, we get angry about it. I mean, we, we see this unfold on social media all the time, knowing that someone was silent about these atrocities and we'll use lines like silence is compliance and, and, and meaning that, that we're on the hook too because we're just as bad as someone else for not stopping it. Well, isn't that what God is doing? That, that, that he's speaking up about the things that he has seen that are wrong and bad and evil and wants us to know this is not the way, but I've given you a better way. 
right? And, and if I'm, you know, if it's okay that I get angry when I see something happen and I'm a fallen, broken human who already has probably a somewhat warped sense of justice and righteousness to begin with, then how much more is it okay for God, who has a perfect sense of justice and righteousness, to be angry when he sees evil happening in the world? We shouldn't be mad that God gets angry. We should be afraid that we would serve a God who doesn't get angry at the evil and the things in the world that are causing us to live in pain and suffering. And so we need to make room for a God to have wrath and anger when it's justified. And, and, and for him, it's justified when it's against sin because it's keeping people from living in the freedom and the peace and the joy and, and the kind of life that God designed for us in the first place, a life that is good, a life that is um, abundant. And, and so it's really an expression of his love and his compassion Wrath, it's, it's not that God is anger. Like What we understand biblically, God is love. That is his character. That is who he is. Scripture says God is love. We don't say God is patience. We say God is patient because of his love. We don't say God is grace. We say God is gracious because of his love. We also shouldn't say God is anger. No, God can get angry because of his love. Because a God who does not exercise wrath against injustice would be an immoral God. And in this twisted universe that would exist unchallenged and just let, you know, let sin reign and rule, um, that would not be a universe ruled by a God who is holy and loving and kind. And so it's wrath is a, really an essential part of, of his character because it flows out of his love for people and people are not the enemy. People are who he pursues and loves and made a way for through Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus took on their sin and our sin uh, so that we would be freed from um, the wrath that God has towards sin and wickedness. And so ultimately, I might not always understand why God responds to certain things the way he does. I might not even understand some of the stories I read in scripture where it seems like he is very angry and I don't get it. But what we need to remember is that he does have perfect justice and righteousness and goodness, and, and I don't. And so whenever people are like, I don't know about that God, I could never follow a God who, you know, fill in the blank. What we should be saying is, I don't understand why God is doing this, but I believe him to be a God who is always loving and kind and merciful and just and righteous. And so I will trust that the way he did this was bent towards that goodness and that righteousness and against evil and wickedness. But don't be convinced, don't believe the lie that God hates people and is 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 angry at them. He is God hates sin and the destruction in the way that it is destroying people and sent Jesus to be the one to take that from us so that we could live the life that he wants us to have. I hope that made some kind of sense. I hope that clicked for some people along the way. Again, we didn't even get to what does wrath look like at the end of times and what about hell and what about all these things. Um, we're already later than we should be. Um, but that is a little piece, hopefully one little angle that might help you understand uh, some things along the way when it comes to God's wrath, the way that he views sin, the way that he views people, and how Jesus was the ultimate solution for those things. I uh, hope this has been a blessing to you guys today. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later.